0: You guys tired too, because school has started and fall has come and okay. I am. I'm really tired. Um, I'm also a creature of habit. I think we all are to some extent. So even this morning, I always walk up this side. This is not gonna be really significant, okay? I always walk up this side. This morning, I'm gonna walk up this side. So I did that. So I realized, and I think we play games. I'm just going to let you into my brain, because I think you might work the same way also. You do certain things a certain way, and then you're going to get the certain result that you've gotten before. And so it might bring you some happiness or joy, and so you do it the same way, thinking, I'm going to get the same result after that. And it molds us into people as creatures of habit. Uh, But at the end, what we really aim for is the result of that, the uh, happiness, the joy, the contentment, the pleasure whatever that is, and we do that same thing over and over, thinking this is going to work, this is going to work. And when, then we become creatures of habit. Um, I recognize this in myself, and so I do things uh, to keep myself from being a creature of habit. So one thing I do, uh, I always park in a different spot every Sunday morning. <laughs> and so pretty soon I'm going to cover the whole parking lot. But we do, and inside of us, we, have the, we all have this longing for... Happiness and joy and contentment and pleasure. And so we, we do what we can, what we can manage to do to try to get the same result. As we are people who are made this way and we're made and we long for this, we see this really evident in children where they get up every day and their, their goal every day is to laugh and have fun and to enjoy their day and this longing for fulfillment and pleasure and happiness, uh, they're not wrong. The Bible does not tell people to snuff out this desire. Uh, what the Bible says is that this desire is real within us, that we, we long for this. We long for happiness and joy and pleasure and contentment. Uh, but what happens is we aim for the wrong thing. And the Bible leads us to be ultimately fulfilled, to find pleasure and to experience happiness. The message of the Bible is not to weaken these desires, but to aim at the right object for fulfillment. And that's what this psalm talks about, Psalm 16. This psalm points out to us what it means to trust in God. But before we can trust in God, we need to understand a little bit more of who this God is. And this is the way that David sets up this psalm. So let me read this psalm. This is Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. For as the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices, my flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore." Is God a trustworthy God? What does it mean to trust this God? And to trust me in these areas even of security, of pleasure, of happiness, and joy, and contentment. What does that look like for him to meet us in these and to fulfill these? In these first two verses in this psalm, uh, three different words are used to describe God and to name this God that David is calling on. We see in verse one, it says, preserve me, O God. Uh, and this is just a general term for God uh, that the Hebrews would use. Uh, it means that this being, that this God is strong and mighty. So God, so David asked this strong and mighty God to preserve him. And then it says, I say to the Lord, this is. Uh, the covenant name for God, this is Yahweh. The personal name of God to the nation of Israel. In Exodus 3, this is, where this, word, this is where we get this word. When God tells Moses to go to the Israelites and to say, the Lord of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said, I am that I am. This is the covenant name for God in relation to his people. Yahweh will be known by his people, and he is a God who will keep his promises because he is a covenant God. So not only here we have David saying God is strong and mighty, we have have David saying this is the personal God who will meet you and who will keep his promises. And then David says in this psalm, you are my Lord. A whole different Hebrew name. And this is Adonai. The term means master. And it can be used for an earthly master or it can be used for God as the ultimate master. What it means is that David is submitting himself to God as master. That God is the one who knows what's right and wrong. God is the one who's communicated the way of life, pleasures forevermore, What it means to live a good, fulfilling life. So David looks to God for direction and guidance. David defines the object of his trust here as the one who is mighty, the one who is personal and relates to his people, and the one whom David follows. And David walks according to his ways. With this description of God, we can then pose our question, what is a happy, fulfilling life? What is a happy, fulfilling, joyful life? What is that life supposed to look like? David in this psalm explains uh, what this life will look like. And this life is a life that is trusting and relying on this God who is mighty and strong, who is personal and keeps his promises, and who is master, who knows the way that is right. Um, David begins with a call to be preserved. And then in verse 3, he says, As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Oh, verse 2 says, I have no good apart from you. In verse 3, the sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. Trust looks like this. The life of trust in God is taking God at his word. And these are the three questions we get from these verses. Also the three subjects we get. He is worthy of refuge. He is a good refuge. Do we trust him as a place of refuge? He gives value. And do we trust his words of our value to him? He creates community for you to be a part of? And do we embrace this community? Do we trust that this is the community, the saints in the land, that these, these are the people that we are to rub shoulders with? And then he provides a way for us to meet him. And do we meet him in this way? Do we meet him the way that he calls us to meet him in worship? Not just on Sunday morning, but throughout every moment of every day. David's trust in God is seen in these three steps of trust. Preservation and refuge, goodness and value, community and friendship, and worship. Preservation and value, or excuse me, preservation and refuge, goodness and value, community, friendship, and worship. Your dissatisfaction with life Uh, might be in some of these areas. Uh, Think of just the area of worship, that God has called you and I to live a certain way, and he is the master over his creation, and we are not satisfied with the way that he has called us to live our life. We want to live a different life. Community and friendship. The saints in the land are the excellent ones. Uh, We're dissatisfied with the Christians, the people of faith that are around us. We want other people, which we all know will be much better than the people we presently have. They will not have any problems. Your dissatisfaction with life might be goodness and value. That you don't see the way that God has valued you, you're creating your own system of value, whether it be career, relationships, wealth, activity and play and hobby, or is it preservation and refuge? That you have an idea of how you think that God should protect you. And when he does not fulfill that, then you become dissatisfied with him. Let's look through these, beginning with preservation and refuge. David's comment is, for in you I take refuge. His, actual, his only plea in this psalm is in the beginning, preserve me. O God, for in you I take refuge. God is a secure refuge. And he has you right where he wants you to be. Which Which could be a little frustrating to hear. Even though the place you are presently might not be an easy place. God is God of all things. And he is a refuge to you where you are presently. And he is a good and constant refuge. And how does he call us to rest in him as the refuge? We see this in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What does it mean for you to know God as refuge? As we go through this passage, one of the things we'll begin to do as we go through this is see that um, what we are called to do is aim at the right object for our happiness. We're called to aim at the right thing for our significance and value and joy and pleasure. But because we are, we long for other things, We say we see this and say, God is my refuge. This is what the refuge would look like. And if God does not fulfill this, then... What we take from that is, well, then he's not God. Instead of understanding, he is that much of a refuge that he will walk with you and carry you through those times. Goodness and value. David says, I have no good apart from you. David is firm in his belief that his value only comes from being a child of God. God is worthy to hold your value. When we begin to place our value in health or status or career, then we begin to be held by these. We're held captive by these. And they will become your place of refuge. You'll find your refuge in your health. You'll find your refuge in some relationship, in some career. Where you find your value begins to be your functional place of refuge. And you see that because of the way we're made and this longing that we'll just stop at that, that we are content with having our value held by our level of education, by the people we know, by the community around us. And there's part of us that is, we're just content with that and we just want to move on. We don't want anything more than that, but we don't understand how uh, that is a broken system. And that will easily distort and hurt. And David goes on and he says, "As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, and in whom is all my delight." David delights in the community of the faithful that's around him. But seeking those relationships as the object of your significance and value, that is when you and I will get more and more hurt. People either put too much significance in relationships or they put not enough. We can fall on either side of this. This is because we're aiming at the wrong thing. We're aiming for relationships or friendships or community that that is going to fill us. If your aim is community, you'll get chaos. But if your aim is Christ and Christ as your refuge and Christ as your value then you will recognize the community that God has created around you because he's made us for relationships. Do you trust Christ and the community he provides and calls you to invest in? And then there's worship. This verse says, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I shall not pour out or take their names on my lips. God's calling us to, he's calling his people to live a certain way. He's calling us to holiness because he's a holy God. And if we understand his grace to us, then what part of that means is that we're willing and we want him to transform us into people that mirror who he is in his goodness and generosity and faithfulness and kindness and consistency. Worship and obedience is another way we pursue happiness. If it doesn't feel like we want it to feel, we begin to question that this is right. We create our own standard of living, of morality, and we say, I'm just going to be a really good person. And I'm going to aim at these things, and then I'm going to be respected from the people by the people around you. Verse 2, David uses this word Lord, this word Master, to show that God is worthy of, To be served and followed. When God is your master, you will be remade into a servant who longs to honor the calling of your master. This is part of uh, redemption. This is part of being transformed. And as the verse goes, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Many sorrows are brought because we want to be our own master. And so we bring on our own brokenness. We see that God has called us to live a certain way. And we don't like it. And it's uncomfortable and it's really hard. And so we just choose to live another way. And what we do is we bring on our own sorrows. For many of you, the struggle in these areas is really not the lack of understanding uh, of these areas. It really is our lack of trust that God will fulfill us in these areas and that God will provide what he sees is good. And so we don't really believe that God will provide. You don't really believe his words of value to you. You don't really believe the community that he has provided is the right one. You don't really believe that he will meet you. You don't believe that his counsel and his word is good. With this lack of belief, then we become discontent with God. As I read through these this week and thought through this, uh, I thought a lot about my life and what many of you have walked through with my life. Um, If you're new here, you might not know more of my story. Uh, I'm a widower, and I've been a widower for 18 months, and I have four kids. And I think about these areas and how I have seen God transform these areas in my life because of walking through the death of Kara with you. And so I can read that God is my refuge and nod just like you and say, yeah, that's a great thing. We need to just trust that God's going to be our refuge. Uh, when the life that you love is being ripped apart, it's a whole nother thing to read this and trust that God is a good refuge. And as you've walked with me now on, I don't know if I'm on the other side of this, I don't know how to explain some of these things, but to be able to see that uh, because of your faith and your ability to just walk with me and care for me, I know God is my refuge. For you, for uh, some of the value that I had in marriage uh, is now stripped now I begin to understand more and more what does it mean to really trust that God is the one who gives me value. In my community, uh, the saints in the lands are the excellent ones. Uh, as much as um, having um, Kara pass away and being a pastor and feeling like there is months that I'm just a complete failure in what God is calling me to do. But you were gracious and you met me and you reminded me that my value is not in being an excellent pastor in the midst of my own grief and despair. That you walked with me as a real person. In worship. Understanding, even though that uh, my life was shattered, um, it's not an excuse that I can just go do whatever I want. And you helped me. You helped me be accountable that I still woke up every day and my thought was, what does it mean to be faithful in this day? And so all of you in this community had a big part in these characteristics being developed and growing in my life. And I I hope we're a church that we see these in each other and we want to encourage them. Where we see someone who um, is in despair, And they want to find their security in something that's tangible. And we remind them that the only thing that is really going to hold your security and your value and who's really going to be a good refuge is someone that will stay with you and never leave. And that is only God. And I hope we grow and be that community so we can remind people of these things. And that relationship, we're not going to fulfill your whole of community. Uh, We're actually probably going to make it worse because we're broken people and we're selfish. So being a part of this community, you will get hurt. Isn't that great? But the goal is to not point each other to community. That community is somehow redemptive and it's going to save us. Uh, What we're doing is we're pointing each other to Christ. And on the way, we begin to look at each other and realize we're all going in the same direction we begin to realize, like, this person has now turned from the other direction they were going, and now they're going in this direction. And how do we walk with them? So as we grow in these areas of trusting God as our refuge, trusting God as the one who gives us value, trusting the community that he creates around us, uh, trusting that he is the master, he knows the right thing for us to do, he knows the right way for us to walk, the result is, we become, to be, uh, we become content in Christ rather than longing for contentment in our situations. Verse 5 and 6 say, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Who is David saying that holds everything in him? God is the one who holds everything in him. My chosen portion and my cup, a trust in God draws us to contentment. But we need to be willing to examine our own expectations of contentment, of what, that, what we want that to look like. If contentment is your aim, you will become frustrated. And you'll probably become frustrated with the people that are closest to you because they should know what contentment should look like for you. And they should do more to help provide contentment. Instead of understanding, it is only the Almighty God who will bring you contentment. And so how do we rest in God and be content in Him and what He's provided? Verses 7 and 8 talk about this. For David and for us, it's making God a priority. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. When someone begins to set the Lord before them, when trust in God is their aim, when God is the one who counsels them, when we see that the the joy of um, living a life in obedience is not the goal when we see the joy of uh, creating community and close connections with people. Is not the aim when we see that um, our, finding our own value and letting people know how valuable we are is, n- un- valuable is not the aim. When we, we when we begin to see that anything tangible and earthly here cannot be our refuge. When we begin to look through all those things and see it is Christ alone that will bring you contentment. It is Christ alone that will fulfill you. Your happiness, your pleasure, your joy, your significance, your value, it is Christ alone. None of these things made into any activity or obedient pattern will do that. It is only Christ And what we get when we begin to see that Christ fulfills us is then we begin to see these as blessings and things that we get to walk in and around. We see that the great thing about community, we see the great blessing of knowing how God has explained for us to walk in grace and faithfulness. We begin to see the blessing of being called and named and sealed as a child of God beloved one of the heavenly father. And then the fruit of this life and this is how David ends the psalm. So if we see contentment in Christ if we see these four areas of blessings, if we see that we are called to make God a priority and then we see the fruit of this life. Therefore my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. This is the result of understanding what it means to trust in God. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Death does not win. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Gladness, rejoicing, security, knowledge of life, fullness of joy, pleasures forever are products of aiming at the right object. The the object to aim at is God. It's not the fruit of happiness, but the vine that produces this fruit. So what does it mean to abide as it Talks about it in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. Fruit is joy and obedience, fruit is having community and good relationships and horrible ones that we see redemption in. Fruit is knowing that God is your refuge, that he holds you secure. Fruit is knowing that it is God who gives you value, that we're not to strive every day to strip things of value to try to fill ourselves. And then the end of this verse in John 15 says, for apart from me you can do nothing. And this is the futility of aiming at perfect fulfillment in these things. I want a secure life that nothing can be taken from. I want relationships where no one is going to hurt me. I want to know my value. I want to know what's right and wrong. And we see those as what we aim for and those as our end. It will give you nothing. But when we see those as fruits and products of God's love and grace toward us, Then we begin to live a life of freedom. And what we have here is David ends the psalm. We have that contentment is deeper than your present circumstance. God is is not one who says, I will give you everything here in this tangible world and you will be fulfilled. Though that is really what we want. What God says is, there are pleasures forevermore. That he will not let his Holy One see corruption, which Peter and Paul both use in the book of Acts to point back to Jesus in his resurrection. That God does give us an everlasting promise. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That is what we long for. That is what we're made for. But the significant thing is being able to see it is Christ that fulfills these. It is him that we're called to long for. And when we begin to do that, then we begin to see God, creating these things around us that we can take part in. Nowhere does it say it's going to be easy. Nowhere. There's a false idea that we so want to hold on to it and long for it. We are called to trust in God alone. And by understanding what that trust means, then we understand what does it mean to have security and God as our refuge? What does it mean to grasp the eternal value of that God has handed to us because of the great work of Christ? What does it mean for you to trust in God in these areas? And As we celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning, this is a great picture of this. That if this is all there is, if this is is all there is to Christianity, that we get a little bit of juice and a little bit of bread, and there's no future fulfillment of it, it's a waste. But this is our mentality. When we think of relationships and security and value, we want them to fulfill us. That's like coming to this table and saying, I am starving, and this little piece of bread and this little sip of juice will fill you up. The promise is Jesus says, I will not drink of this again until I am with you. That's the promise. So you and I are longing for fulfillment. We will have it here when we trust in Christ. But it's only fulfilled when Christ returns. And so remember this as we come to this table. That this is a symbol and a sign of God's perfect work what Jesus has done. But this symbol and sign is not the great thing. Christ is the great one. So why don't you pray with me as we prepare our hearts to come and receive of this meal this morning. Lord Jesus, we come this morning and we ask that you would remind us that you are the one who fulfills. We pray as we come to this table that we would know uh, your great promise of everlasting joy. Remind us of your goodness and your mercy, that you are a good refuge. We pray that we would be able to be honest with uh, our own desires and temptations to live a fulfilling life outside of the promises of Christ. Thank you that you are a gracious and forgiving God and you welcome us to this table. In Jesus' name, amen.